0: yeah in fact there's drake lyrics i got enemies got a lot of enemies got a lot of people trying to keep me from yeah i don't know the rest but it's great
1: who got the truth is it you is it you is it you who got the truth now is it you is it you is it you sit me down say it straight another story on the way who got the truth
0: Welcome to episode 11 of Acquired, the show where we talk about technology acquisitions that actually went well. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And this is our show. Today, we are talking about eBay acquiring PayPal, an older acquisition, um, one that kind of set the tone for a lot of uh, modern technology acquisitions, uh, changed the Valley Forever, birthed the PayPal mafia, lots of great stuff to come. Uh, but first, wanted to remind you if uh, if you have not yet and you like the show, would really appreciate a
1: review on iTunes. Yeah, and as always, hit us up on Twitter, Acquired at Acquired FM, uh, or at Gilbert or at DJ Rosen. We love feedback.
0: We do. We do. We we promise we'll listen. and We'll try and make it better. We've heard rumors that um, audio uh, audio was a little quiet in the past, so um, working hard to to make sure that we uh, release that you know, appropriate listening volume now.
1: We're iterating. We
0: are. We are. We're a little startup ourselves. It's cute. Um, also I apologize for, for the last like month of no episode. We got some people saying finally a new episode. I, uh, I had ACL surgery, but I'm a real human now and, um, I'm fully off the oxycodone. So,
1: uh, we're, we're back in action. Should know Ben has been a real trooper here. You were, we were recording last time you were, what, like five days post-surgery? Am I remembering that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was, um, I was barely post-oxycodone.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, stay away from the narcotics, kids. That's my advice. All right, well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig.
1: Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild.
0: This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes
1: these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now,
0: Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times
1: as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse-native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your
0: team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white-glove onboarding. For all acquired listeners, our huge thanks to StatSig.
1: All right, you, Should uh, we do it? yeah, acquisition history Let's and facts. Let's do it. Acquisition history and facts. Man, I am excited for this episode. There is so much to dive into and unpack here. Um, so I will get through the acquisition history and facts quickly. But uh, first, a quick note: uh, we're going to focus this show on the first act of PayPal, um, the the founding. Uh, the acquisition by eBay, and then, um, and then the the first period of history thereafter. Uh, we may do a future show on the spinout uh, that happened last year, uh, where PayPal was spun back out from eBay. But and uh, and we could also do another show on PayPal as an acquirer. It's true. They they themselves have
0: done a few interesting ones, especially recently.
1: So much uh, so much interesting stuff with this company.
0: But there's definitely a whole episode for us to do. Just there's the at
1: least one more episode in the tank here. Uh, So with that, okay, so December 1998, Peter Thiel, Max Levchin, and Luke Nozick found a company that uh, they call Confinity, and they decide to make an applications, uh, a payment and cryptography service for Palm Pilots.
0: Amazing. like the PayPal <laughs> that we use today started to be money back and forth between palm pilots <laughs>
1: <laughs> quickly. They realized that that's a small market and they, uh, in 1999, uh, they decided to switch over and start working on a money transfer service that they've come up with. And they call the product PayPal also in 1999 a guy named Elon Musk. You might've heard of him. Uh, he, uh, fresh off of founding and selling zip 2 uh, starts a company that he calls X.com as an online financial services and email payment company.
0: Domains were cheap back then. Yeah. She's X.com.
1: <laughs> um, March of 2000, uh, short while later, uh, they decide to merge apparently orchestrated by Michael Moritz at Sequoia, who was an investor in Confinity, uh, neither confirmed nor denied, but that's what the internet says. <laughs> um, and uh, Elon uh, from X.com initially remains the CEO of the company. That quickly changes. And uh, Peter Thiel comes back uh, as, as CEO of the combined company. Um, in October of 2000, Elon was still the CEO. And he makes the call. The PayPal product is doing so well that they focus all the efforts of the combined company just on PayPal. And then in 2001, they renamed the company as PayPal
0: yeah there's a classic case of elon being elon and doing what he does best and that's focus
1: yep no more pom pilots um and uh and then in february 2002 uh paypal goes public uh and it's actually this is it's interesting to remember and this is february 2002 this is after the crash uh after the uh, the dot-com crash and uh this was the first consumer internet company to go public in 18 months and um, and it does pretty well. Uh, PayPal has at uh, at close on the day of the IPO has about a 1.2 billion dollar market cap, um, and then very quickly thereafter, uh, only a few months later, in July of 2002, eBay announces that they're acquiring PayPal uh, in an all stock deal. Depending on how you count, uh, how, on how you account for the transaction, somewhere between 1.2 1.5 billion dollars, <laughs> um, which was about a 20 percent premium to the stock's uh closing price the day before so interesting and we're going to dive far more deeply into this but um pretty quickly the whole team leaves uh within i believe this the stat is within four years of the acquisition over half of all paypal employees uh have left um and uh and and interesting and including all of the founders of both confinity and x.com um and uh Interestingly, they're, uh, they're actually the history of the PayPal, the president of PayPal within eBay um, has been a, uh, a little bit of a, I don't, I don't want to say a hot seat, but some interesting figures have gone through there, <laughs> including Scott Thompson. Do you remember him, Ben? This is the guy uh-huh. who left uh, being the president of PayPal to become the CEO of Yahoo. And then it was very quickly revealed that he had completely fabricated his resume his pre
0: PayPal resume. Yeah.
1: Um, I believe it was that he, I believe I could be wrong on this. It was that he said he had a computer science degree and it turns out he didn't have a college degree at all. Um, yeah, it was a whole big controversy and, uh, then ended up in Marissa Mayer, uh, afterwards coming to Yahoo. Um, after him, David Marcus, uh, who had actually come to PayPal from the acquisition of Zong, which was a payments company that he had founded. Um, was the next president, and he is now running Facebook's Facebook Messenger. Hmm. Interesting. Um, So, uh, yeah, and then uh, PayPal remains part of eBay for 13 years, um, during which sees meteoric growth. Uh, And then in July of 2015, as mentioned, eBay, under shareholder pressure from Carl Eichen, um, spins off, Uh, PayPal into, once again, a separate standalone publicly traded company. And uh, when they do, um, PayPal is worth at the time uh, when it begins trading about one and a half times uh, the value of eBay. So it is significantly more valuable than all of eBay. And today, PayPal has about a $46 billion market cap as a public company.
0: And the question we're here to address today is, was it a good decision for eBay to pay that, call it $1.3 billion, to in-house PayPal, given where they are today?
1: So much to unpack. And, and Financially, David, no doubt.
0: Yeah. I mean, should we should we take this uh, from a shareholder of eBay's perspective, where uh, we assume that they end up with one PayPal share and one
1: eBay share? Which is what happens at the spinoff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that, that feels reasonable. I think... Um, we can talk a little bit about the actual impact that it had on eBay's core marketplace business but um it's i think it'll be interesting to look at how did it feed the marketplace business and how did the PayPal business grow and would the PayPal business have grown like we've seen it grow if eBay hadn't acquired it
1: yep let's do it should we start it with acquisition category
0: um yeah i think i think there's like a few questions that i sort of want to get to b- before we categorize i um There's a few interesting nuggets in here. The biggest one that I I think is interesting is eBay transactions generated two-thirds of PayPal's payment volume at the time of the transaction. So here's PayPal, Mm -hmm. where they finally have found product market fit because people seem to be using it all the time for this eBay thing. And, you know, they're not really succeeding in in peer-to-peer payments. They're getting embedded on some websites, but that business is largely fed by the fact that eBay sellers are using it on other websites that they operate, yep. eBay is effectively their, their entire market segment and their distribution to, to get to new markets. And, and so what was
1: the, uh, what was Ben was mentioning to me a quote, uh, was it a Peter Thiel quote that, um, uh, that, uh, PayPal was essentially an app built on top of eBay. Uh, I thought maybe I read that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That, that anyway, it, I mean, that's essentially what it was.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know that that's a precarious position for a company. Yeah, uh, eBay was in-house uh, building a very similar solution, and they were partnering with Wells Fargo. I think it was called Billpoint. And um, you know, in looking at kind of the um, the way that eBay was facing decisions at this point was okay. We, we love electronic payments in our platform. I think uh, at the time of the PayPal acquisition, it was about a third. Let's see, uh, 40% of eBay transactions. Um, and Meg Whitman, who was the CEO at the time, said that she hopes that figure will increase dr- dramatically. And so eBay is highly incentivized to make these really fast electronic transactions occur. They've built Bill Point in-house. It's an interesting sort of business on its own, clearly, as, as PayPal was demonstrating. And yeah. eBay faces this decision as, okay, one in four um, tr- uh, auctions on our platform are settled with eBay. They're pretty much entirely dependent on us. Settled with PayPal. Or, sorry, so settled with PayPal. They're pretty much entirely dependent on us. Yep. We could buy them. We could build this thing in-house, which they did called Billpoint. We could cut them off, but that exposes them to risk of regulatory pressure. Yep. So there's this interesting dynamic going on there where on the it's like a game of chicken. Like yep. pay, not, pay.
1: not to mention that this product uh, that PayPal, that, that the PayPal team had built, is really, really hard.
0: Yeah, and, and the, uh, among other things, like the way that they actually got um, classified as not a bank, but I think a money yep. money transfer service. There's a lot of regulatory things that they did that were really hard, but from a product perspective, making people feel safe, sending money over the internet when the internet mm-hmm. is, is still this immature thing, and then actually backing it up with yep. the fraud detection. I mean, there's there's bodies buried all over the place in these PayPal-like services at the time that didn't succeed because they couldn't keep a lid on their fraud detection.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And interestingly, which we'll get more into later, you know, the core of PayPal's fraud detection technology became the, the inspiration for Palantir.
0: Oh, interesting. I mean, I knew it was Peter Thiel, but it's uh is that, is that like other people from?
1: Yeah. Uh, some of the, uh, some of the core engineers that worked on fraud detection at, uh, at PayPal, um, helped start Palantir with Peter Thiel. And a lot of that technology came from, um the fraud detection days at paypal hmm.
0: Interesting i mean if stuff. you think
1: about the if you think about the types of jobs that machine learning is like uniquely qualified for you know fraud detection is like right up at the top yeah acquisition should we, should we let's move into category and i think we can i think we can we'll, discuss we'll on a lot stuff of these themes and unpack them as we go cool um so i'll go first with category um you know i i'm going to say business line here but it's an accidental business line um i would uh, you know without knowing um without knowing exactly what the ebay executives were thinking at the time i could imagine that they thought about this as a feature acquisition almost you know uh we gosh payments are a critical uh, you know electronic payments are a critical part of our product and our marketplace. Um, we've been trying to do this ourselves. These PayPal guys are doing it way better. We should just buy them and implement them as as the feature on the site. And then over time, it turned out that that was actually in and of itself a way bigger and better business than eBay itself.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think eBay had tried to get into the peer-to-peer payment space. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it was, it was a very Apple thing to do. It was a very we want to create the best user experience by making sure that we control all the key components of our product. And, you know, I think,
1: which is crazy to back up for a minute. Um, at the time of the acquisition, you said about 40% of settlements on eBay were being done electronically. That's correct. In total. So that means, that means 60% of eBay transactions were not settled electronically.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to figure this out. Does that mean they're mailing checks around?
1: I have no idea. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's easy to, to forget. I mean, it was, what, 14 years ago what the world yeah, was right. like I where mean, you couldn't just transfer my I, I was in whatever. high
1: school. People were buying Beanie Babies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was selling Beanie Babies on eBay. I think I made um, about 500, 550 bucks. I sold a uh, Jerry Garcia bear for 350 Oh, man. I remember that one. Yeah. And like an inchworm or something for 100
1: let's just I think we should take a step back too and just do a little more stage setting here um which is you know it's 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 hard for us to remember I mean we're you know I would argue fairly young I uh, like to think of myself as fairly young uh, but um you know these were the days I mean I was like a David I haven't like gotten a, a snap from you in a while uh, I love Snapchat <laughs> though um you're just not on my uh you know oh my yeah top that, right. no. that must be it <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I was in like, I was like a freshman, sophomore in high school at this time. And these were the days like, you know, right before the bubble burst when I remember my classmates trading internet stocks during breaks between, uh, between classes in high school my freshman year. I remember the, I remember one of my buddies buying a whole bunch of Western Digital stock, which was a hard drive manufacturer.
0: Like, Best hard drives there are. Just, you know not using a lot of hard drives right now my
1: computers
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you nailed it I mean I I think ultimately it was a control play where there was risk that was going on by PayPal you know having a large part of their business dependent on something they didn't control and they wanted to bring that in-house it was you know they saw it as an accelerant to their business to uh, make it more reliable that you were gonna get paid by transacting on eBay they were clearly building it themselves and an opportunity to to bring this in house, um, you know, it was probably the right one, and they took it. Now, what it turned into, I think, was a behemoth that they had, you know, was not in the cards at the time. And it'd be super interesting to to look at, um, you know, what was in Meg Whitman's head and and if they really thought that this could be something that they um, they grew independently, because I th- I think there's been a lot of discussions since then, kind of like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, that that was the vision the whole time was to grow this this, uh, you know, new, new internet business where we can just transfer money anywhere all the time. And, you know, I think it was the original vision for PayPal, but they very quickly realized like, wow, there's a very specific need for when people need to transfer money. And that, that very specific need is after auctions on eBay. yep So, you know, today it's grown into something tremendously bigger and I don't think it's what they saw. So I I think they thought they were acquiring a feature.
1: I think that's likely true. Um, and it's interesting too, you know, one of the sort of aphorisms in the in the tech world is you can't build a big company a really big company on the back of somebody else's platform and this is the example that both proves and breaks the rule you know like hmm. paypal became a huge company obviously and did it on the back of the ebay platform but ended up having to sell to ebay because they were so captive uh, to that platform you know, what, I guess this gets a little bit into the, you know, what would have happened otherwise, but, um, you know, how could you imagine in those, those fragile early days? I mean, remember this was 13, it was 13 years between the acquisition and the spinoff when, uh, all the vast majority of the, of the now value in PayPal was created. Mm -hmm. Could that have happened if during those early years when it was so much dependent on eBay, it had been a separate company and eBay had had, you know, could have made changes to completely kneecap PayPal.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, I I think we're definitely in the, we've moved on to the, what would have happened otherwise segment now. Absolutely. uh, Officially. Um, But it's interesting too, to think about this. I'm I'm thinking about this question of, you know, building a big company on the back of somebody else's platform. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps you could make an argument that, um, you can do it if you can essentially raid the platform uh, get all the users from it, and then move migrate them to you to your own platform so like I'm thinking about you know Pinterest grew really fast in the early days for a bunch of reasons, but one of them being that um, I don't know if folks remember you know they they really figured out viral Facebook uh, user acquisition mm. you know we were I was getting messages all the time, emails from Facebook of you know my friend Ben has just joined Pinterest, you know, do you want to join as well? And um, uh, and and those user Pinterest was successfully able to migrate those users over to their own ecosystem. And now I'm thinking about PayPal back in those early days when it really was just eBay that was the primary use case. Um, I don't think they were migrating anybody from using PayPal to settle their eBay transactions to then doing, you know, peer-to-peer money exchange. Uh, which is the big business that PayPal's built over time? Yeah, but would they've been able to do that, you know, successfully? Had they not been part of eBay? I don't know.
0: Yeah, the companies that have done that well have been really sneaky about it and have have like succeeded and, and flown out of being crushed, like just in the nick of time. I mean you even see like a good example is actually LinkedIn, right? They yep. they grew on the the back of stealing your entire address book and yep. then emailing everyone. Yep. And it only cost them like what 100 million dollars or something a few years later when there was a gigantic class action suit for doing that. And you know, it, it they're a real and successful company because they they piggybacked off that existing yep. network.
1: Or or think about Airbnb. Um you know, there there are a bunch of articles out there and Airbnb doesn't talk about it that, that much, but Definitely, in the early days, you know they were auto posting to Craigslist and pulling a whole lot of both supply and demand out of out of Craigslist and onto their platform. Yep. Um, but again, I think the key is you have to you have to kind of exfiltrate the users and then and then keep them captive within your own ecosystem.
0: Right. And I, you know, I was young at the time, but I don't necessarily remember ever like paypal only existed to me when i was again selling beanie babies and then boy scout patches on ebay as my way of transacting on ebay it never really seemed like the purpose of it was to anything else yeah yeah
1: yeah interesting so had ebay not acquired paypal when it did Mm -hmm. uh you know paypal was a public company um what would have happened to both companies, you know, so maybe we've just been talking about PayPal, um, perhaps it would have been hard for the, you know, eBay could have made life really hard for them. What about, what about eBay? You were talking yeah, yeah, earlier well, about well, what's well, the value that PayPal brought to the eBay marketplace?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, similarly, could PayPal have made life hard for eBay?
1: It could PayPal have yeah. done something where... Could they have started their own marketplace attached to To PayPal. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, that I mean that seems like it almost seems far fetched. It's like it's it's such a such a different and large business. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean I don't think PayPal had a whole lot of power over eBay. Other than if they went away, maybe people would have been Kind of uncomfortable with the electronic platform that eBay was providing because it wasn't as secure yet, but Mm -hmm. I bet eBay would have figured that out pretty quick. Um, Yeah, I mean, imagine you you can, I I think this is a slim scenario, but you can imagine a scenario where um, PayPal finds a different market besides eBay. Mm Mm-hmm the money transfer one that they've grown into today, which you know people eventually did become very comfortable with, but were uncomfortable at the time. Yep. So they probably would have had to ride out some tough times for a while if they had moved away from eBay. And eBay maybe doesn't figure it out and figure out the fraud detection. And then people are uncomfortable transacting on eBay, and they never get everyone onboarded to their own payment platform and people don't like using eBay because they still have to use an analog system. And then someone comes along and builds, it it all feels far fetched. Actually, the more I talk about it, it's like they would have figured it out. Actually before that PayPal just never would have moved away. I mean, that was like, that was the, the cash cow. That was their, their, finally they had found product market fit in this, in being effectively like a, a, a vendor or a supplier for, yeah, probably a vendor for, uh, for eBay. So what would have happened to eBay? I can't. I can't imagine a scenario where eBay doesn't win here.
1: I think the only, well, not the only, but one potentially negative picture you could paint for eBay here is, you know, if you think about over the subsequent thirteen years between the acquisition and the spinoff, PayPal grows so much that it is, you know, call it sixty, sixty-five percent of the. Entire value of the company, maybe even seventy percent, mm-hmm. um, and and certainly all of the growth engine of the company. Would eBay have been able to um, recruit and and attract and retain top quality talent if it didn't have this? Um, if it didn't have this really sexy growth business attached to it, you know, would eBay have stagnated mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. earlier? That's a great point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's predicated on. The idea that, like, it was, it it could actually, that status or that state could actually persist for many years. The state of them being separate businesses and both of them needing each other. That symbiotic relationship.
1: It seems hard. I mean, we're biased by history and what actually happened here, but it does seem hard to imagine these two companies existing separately. Yeah. Yeah. Until you get to the point where you are now, where PayPal is really a large and viable business with with ebay only being a minority of it
0: yeah i mean in my opinion if it's like here's here's what happens if ebay doesn't acquire paypal in you know july to october of 2002 ebay acquires paypal for a different price at a different time yeah i I don't think that
1: it's It's interesting to think whether that would be higher or lower yeah (laughs) yeah could go either way that's true we want to thank our
0: longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring, Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them
1: fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired, Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product.
0: Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private
1: integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence.
0: So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com slash acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all Acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired.
1: All right. Should we move on to tech themes? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's interesting. That.
1: Um, yeah. I've got, well, I really want to dive in here and this is um, somewhat related to the acquisition, but I think we would just be remiss if we didn't really talk about, I mean, For me, this is the PayPal mafia. You know, I mean, I think you could make a very uh, valid argument. It might even be hard to argue against uh, a thesis that this single event, this acquisition of PayPal by eBay was the catalyst to create everything that we now know of as Silicon Valley and the technology startup ecosystem, Hmm. We'll unpack this, but just the the chain of events set in motion by this acquisition is really incredible. Um, when you think about the people that were at PayPal, and there's there's a great um, there's a great article on uh, the Tech Republic. We'll link to it in the show notes um, about. Uh, it's titled, uh, I believe, "How the PayPal Mafia Redefined Success in Silicon Valley," and. Um, many, of the, many of the founders of, of PayPal talk about how you know, they were all these incredibly young, ambitious people and they've, um, they'd just been through this you know, super difficult but exhilarating experience at PayPal where they had to figure out a whole bunch of stuff that had never been done before. Like we were saying, it was really hard. Um, and then they made a bunch of money and then they showed up at eBay and it was like complete culture clash and they hated it there and they all left quickly. But they were all still really young and ambitious and wanted to prove themselves. And so like you just go down the list of companies. So I'm going to talk about just, I'm going to talk about two sets of companies here. The first are companies founded by PayPal alums, LinkedIn, Yammer, Yelp, YouTube, Palantir, SpaceX, Tesla, and then Reddit was not founded by YouTube alums, but was um, the CEO of read it for a while yishan wong was Mm -hmm. a youtube alum or a uh, paypal alum uh and then and then so that's companies actually founded by this group of people and then companies other companies in silicon valley uh, and related environs um where paypal mafia alumni were very early investors or advisors or instrumental in, in in starting the company facebook uber Airbnb, Square, Pinterest, Stripe, and it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. I mean, you're talking practically practically every company, uh, every major company that Silicon Valley has produced since that acquisition can trace its history either directly or indirectly to to the PayPal mafia. Yeah.
0: I mean, I made a joke to David before this show. I was reading up and I was like, huh, we, we could get a guest for this, but... All the people that were there are so insanely rich that why would they ever bother to go on a podcast? And I think the funny thing is like it's it's not from, it's not from the money they made from PayPal. No, I mean people got rich, like people got hundred millionaire rich, but or at least like high tens.
1: Well, but don't forget there have been a lot of dilution at PayPal. I mm. mean they'd raised I believe 180 million dollars. I think that includes the capital they'd raised in the IPO. Mm-hmm. There'd been a merger of companies. There are lots of founders. I mean, there's no way that individually any of those people became hugely filthy rich after that acquisition. Yeah, it
0: was it was more about what a whole bunch of really smart people recognized and did after that. And opportunities yeah. that they saw because of the way that they grew PayPal. I mean, PayPal, actually, this is, this is a good segue into what I was thinking about. PayPal sort of invented a lot of the paradigms that we see in startups today. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the first one, they, they were the first business to do the whole, if you invite a friend, you get free money thing. And it's fu- It's like sort of free money now. Like, Oh cool. If I invite a friend to Uber, I get $15 in my Uber account. Like PayPal literally gave you a dollar, dollar, $5. They literally yeah. gave you money. It was
1: like, if you, they would email their friends and like, congratulations, they, you have free dollars. They invented viral acquisition. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, and we were talking, I was just talking about the company founding and investing part. Let's talk now about the, the actual strat- you know, tactics that are just now commonplace. You know, they basically invented growth hacking. So viral user acquisition, uh, embeds, mm-hmm. uh, you could embed, PayPal was one of the first, if not the first app that you could embed in other web apps. And, you know, think, <laughs> and then think about, you know, a direct company outcome progeny of, of PayPal was YouTube. And how did YouTube succeed? You know, it was embeds. So funny, I
0: have a good story here. I built a website um, for my buddy Nils. Nils, if you're out there listening, I'm going to name you. Um, where we were selling t-shirts, and I was a super early web developer, and you know, I didn't know a lot of the best ways to do an online storefront. And the way that we built out this t-shirt website was by generating a unique PayPal button for every SKU, And I just literally embedded the little PayPal form on every single t-shirt page that was a subdirectory on our site. And it worked. I mean, it just completely worked. And I didn't have a storefront. Like, we weren't using that for inventory management. It's fine because we didn't sell that many t-shirts. But at the end of the day, like, we had a working website by a bunch of PayPal button embeds. And that's how a lot of little storefronts worked for a long time. And I think, you know, they they obviously succeeded primarily because they were such a huge part of PayPal. But like... Even after that, as they were growing their business off PayPal for a long time, I think that's what a lot of people did. We accept off, PayPal. Off eBay. Or yeah, sorry, yeah. off
1: eBay. Yep. God, um, they're so one and the same to me now. I know. It's, it is hard to <laughs> uh, untangle them in your mind. I
0: have one other thing too. The, <laughs> me too. Um, but go ahead. All right. I'll take this one. The uh, interesting thing about payments are something that we see in advertising today, uh, a parallel I'm going to make between the two. We've been talking a lot over the past 10 episodes about you know the rise of Facebook and, and Google as ad platforms and stealing a lot of the ad- advertising spend away from um, non-social ads, so, so display ads, mm-hmm. and understanding that um, brand advertising uh, in particular and, and online advertising as a whole is a winner-take-all type market where you really need scale uh, before you, you can rival the big guys now because there's such excellent targeting that you have to be able to choose any bucket that could be incredibly narrow, you know, tap dancing, you know, 24-year-olds in Washington named Ben, and not named Ben, but that you But Facebook could find those people. Right, right, and have a deep enough well. And so so those are businesses that have a relatively high fixed cost and require massive scale to make the business actually work. Payments are sort of the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, PayPal... Really needed massive volume before they could have wide adoption, and they have an incredible flywheel where every person that has a PayPal account can be a sender or a receiver of money and becomes comfortable using the platform. So the first time they get someone to send or receive money, once they make everyone else's experience more valuable. So it's a scale platform where you know it has completely razor thin margins, right on on um, payments and really large fixed costs, especially in those days where they were building data centers and they need huge oh. volumes to make it work. And that's something that they saw with eBay and they um, they did really well. And that um,
1: that belief, um, which may have been completely crazy and, and as we were talking about, perhaps wouldn't have worked had PayPal remained an independent company, but that belief that you can get to that scale to make that vision or reality. Yeah, you like, have to be insane. You'd have to be completely insane. <laughs> um and and you think about um the startups again that we were just you know rattling off a bunch of names uh in sort of the generations that followed PayPal, the ones that became really, really big are ones that made that same bet, you know, and and, and won. Um, you know, Uber. Right? Like imagine before Uber if you had painted a picture of a world where there are going to be enough drivers in cars that are members of your platform and enough users, consumers of transportation on your platform in a, any given geographical area. Not just San Francisco, but like, you know, the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in, you know, some non-American, you know, a, a country not in the US that you could push a button and that driver would be right around the block and show up, you know, a minute later you would have gotten laughed out of the room,
0: yeah yeah and, and it's the same thing I mean you could imagine pre-users pitching PayPal and it's like, well, it's the way for anybody to send anybody money and someone says, well, what do you mean?" you're like, well, when everyone has payPal, like everyone yeah. would be super comfortable It's sending a recursive money to each argument <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know it's the same recursive argument that lots of people like completely fail at right you hear this at at every like, first time startup event right like someone who goes and the only world they imagine is the one where their service is pervasive and they talk yeah. about like why doesn't it just exist you know you, you you could hear i don't know if somebody ever pitched uber but like you could hear someone pitching uber you know at 10 years ago at a startup weekend yeah. and they say well yeah it's it's like why doesn't it exist where anybody can just pick you up at any given time because you just see every single person has this in their car and can give each other a ride and you're like how on earth are you going to get there? And the magic of PayPal is they figured out how to get there.
1: Well, and I think this is, um, this is a great segue into the other thing I wanted to talk about here about the PayPal mafia, um, that I think might, again, you could make an argument might be the most impactful thing that they've contributed to the startup ecosystem. Um, even over and above all the other things we've talked about, there's a really, really great, uh, video on YouTube, of course. Um, of uh, Jim Getz, who's a, a partner at Sequoia, a great, great uh, venture capitalist, um, talking, uh, uh, speaking at, at the business school at Stanford, um, which is, has a fond place in my heart. Um, and he's, he's talking about what makes great companies that Sequoia would invest in. And uh, he talks about the PayPal mafia. And he says, you know, the one thing to him that really sets PayPal alumni apart from other people in the ecosystem is... They learned at PayPal this ability, the willing both willingness and ability uh, to iterate really quickly with a product. To put a product out there that is very far from finished and iterate like mad on it based on true market feedback. And he says, you know, and not bsing themselves about like what the actual signals from the market are. And that's how you can create a recursive, you know. Uh, a a recursive thesis like that, you know, is you can't start with like the end state. You got to start with a very, very small idea and then work on it bit by bit by bit based on market feedback.
0: Yeah. And God, that market feedback thing is, is so hard where every line of code that you write or every little piece of product thinking that you do that then gets solidified in any form, be it physical or design or code. It's like, a burden you carry from that point forward, where the more you've created, the heavier it is and the less you feel agile to move away from it. And so I, I just have tremendous respect for people at companies like this that can write something and put it out there and understand market signals quickly and within days say, that's actually not the thing. And like rip half of it out and put a new piece in and say, that's not the thing either. And then like just keep repositioning, because I think that, you know, we just get emotionally attached to what we make and people will get really emotionally attached to their vision. And if you, if you can just keep responding, it's a, it's a really incredible and really valuable
1: skill. And I think that's the, the skill is, is holding both of those things to borrow a phrase from my wife. She loves this phrase, holding both of those things in your head at the same time. One is absolute dedication and commitment to a vision of the future that you see, you know, your recursive, these vision about the future, and two, an utter lack of bias or or um, uh, or, or you know predetermined thought on on how you're going to get there, mm-hmm. and be willing to take you know the random walk uh, that uh, that you need to take of of product and product market fit discovery to get
0: there. Yeah, that's a challenge.
1: It is time to grade it. Yeah, I think we can grade it. Um, so this is a really interesting one uh, to grade because, you know, one of the themes that I think has been pretty pervasive throughout the show that we've done is that the best acquisitions uh, that we've given the highest grades to have been ones where, you know, the the acquirer follows the mantra of, you know, leave the team alone. It's all about the people. Uh, let them do their thing. You know, don't. Uh, don't mess with the magic. Um, uh, you know, we heard that with Pixar, uh, where it was, all, it was the reverse. It was like Pixar coming in and, and, and leaving the Disney people alone, you know, or getting, letting the Disney get back to feeling the creative magic, you know, with Instagram, um, with Bungie that Ed Freeze was talking about. This is a total opposite. Like eBay comes in and really mucks around, and everybody leaves.
0: And and I wonder if that's just characteristic of the time period. I mean, other other acquisitions that we've like ripped apart have that characteristic too from that time period, where the, it's it's all about integration. It's all about great. We like your product. Now it's time to you know beat move to the beat of our drum. And I think it's really only recently that companies have figured out that leave it alone thing. Yeah,
1: the uh, the quote unquote Facebook style acquisition. There's yeah. another. Great quote from uh, from David Sachs in the Tech Republic article, um, where he's talking about the the first meeting that happened after the acquisition, the you know integration meeting, and the eBay team you know gets all the key people from PayPal together in a room, and they book a three hour meeting, and they show up with like a hundred and thirty seven page PowerPoint deck, and the PayPal guys are like. A, we've never had a three-hour meeting in our lives. <laughs> B, what is PowerPoint? <laughs> you know, And at the end of it, uh, David Sachs says, man, we're going to have to, you know, if we stay here, we're going to have to create a whole new department just to do PowerPoint, just so that we can communicate with these
0: guys. Oh, man. I Talk about a product that they needed and a team that was just completely incompatible with their culture.
1: And so what's what's interesting about grading this one is like breaks all the rules and yet creates huge huge amount of value for ebay ebay shareholders for the entire you know silicon valley startup ecosystem as a whole um you know i i think taking all of this into account um it's almost like you know i think i'm gonna net out at like a uh B plus for eBay on the acquisition, you know, like pretty great. I mean, created a huge billions and billions of dollars worth of shareholder value, but you know, had they handled it differently, could they have realized much more value? Yes. But also if they'd done that, we all would be so much poorer for it, you know, because of the, the exodus that happened because of the PayPal mafia, we have so much else in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah. I mean, Well, I look at it this way, like when we're talking about, so I see you, I appreciate those things. I hear you. Uh,
1: I feel very appreciated right now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let's look at this from the, the lens of eBay as a company, right? Like, was this good for eBay as a company to make this acquisition? Normally, I would try and frame this in terms of like, well, let's look at you know, Apple acquiring Authentec and being able to do touch ID sensors in this way that is additive to their existing product in a way that is a of a much greater value than anything Authentic could do on their own. Right? Like something yep. where it's it's integrating into the product and creating, you know, synergies between the two products such that they can take their core product and make it, you know, a multiple of the acquisition better. In this case, like I don't know that it added tremendously to eBay's marketplace. And actually, there's a, a point that um, Keith Rabois points out where they had visibility into um, eBay's growth. And they predicted that eBay's growth was going to plateau and mm, that they actually needed needed to make the sale because they were like, we don't have a different growth strategy yet. And uh, people are going to be concerned. We're a public company. People are going to be concerned about us, us if our... Um, We're solely dependent on eBay, and 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 their growth is plateauing. What we've seen, you know, eBay eBay is a indeed a major you know major company. From two thousand and four, they were doing three point two billion dollars in net revenue. Today, they're doing seventeen point nine. Like they've grown. They're 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 doing great, but they aren't a, a mega behemoth. And I don't think that their growth can be attributed to PayPal. However, we're looking at this through the lens of a person who owned PayPal or uh, eBay stock at the time of the acquisition. Like, yep. was it good for eBay as a corporation to do this? Holy crap, absolutely. Absolutely. Like eBay grew like a weed and, and grew to be larger than their existing business. So, yep. you know, as a company, it was a killer bet because effectively they acquired a product that gave them an entire second business line when their, yep. their initial business line yep. wasn't gonna be the thing. Yep. This is, this is an A+. Plus.
1: Like, this is... Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, you know, if you were to... If, if our projection, let's assume it's correct, that um, eBay executives at the time weren't thinking about this as a business line, were thinking about it as a, you know, feature technology acquisition, um, then, yeah, maybe my, my you know, B-plus rating would hold. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, this is the actual financial outcome. Right. Massive home run. Um, not to mention all the ancillary benefits to the whole ecosystem as we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the eBay acquisition was generally good for the world, right? It's generally good for the United States in terms of GDP. Well, what's good
1: for General Motors is good for America.
0: Ain't that the truth?
1: <laughs> Cruise acquisition coming in uh, future episodes, oh, man. perhaps.
0: I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples where, yeah, it's it's almost like like how we rated the the Pixar. Well, no, because that actually did feed back into the, the the Disney business to to reinvigorate that and make it great mm-hmm. again. What other examples can you think of of a company that was flying high at the time, made an acquisition, and then it turned out that company's core product was like, you know, not going to be the thing for that company, and then they acquired like a a mega giant, yeah, to be mega giant that they. Yeah, and they certainly propelled it there. I don't think eBay would, or I don't think PayPal would have done this on their own. I think that at some point, like we
1: talked about, they were going to get acquired. And, yeah,
0: but. it's interesting. I mean, gosh,
1: maybe Instagram. I mean, Jerry's still out on that.
0: Yeah, although to, to check in on our previous um, numbers on that, they uh, I think it's yet another analyst report, I don't think we have hard numbers on this, but it's, it's predicted to do uh, uh, $3 billion in is it revenue this year. I just, I just, saw a thing, you know, on a billion dollar acquisition a couple years later, Man, not too shabby.
1: That was a great buy. Yeah. Not without its challenges though. I mean, you know, no. uh, it's interesting that, uh, we could do an episode at some point on Snapchat on the failed acquisition of Snapchat. Yeah, we should do Facebook. that. Like, that would be, that'd be a fun one. Yeah. And we could compare and contrast Instagram and Snapchat.
0: We could, we could, but until then, do you want to do the carve out? oh yeah
1: carve out let's do it right, um, you want to go first
0: i do i do so uh since we know you guys like listening to podcasts i felt like i should pick a podcast and this week was an incredible episode of the bill simmons podcast to follow up my um my recommendation to to read the ringer um he had chris saka on
1: oh nice
0: and oh it was Worlds colliding it was, it was so great yeah because bill's just like killer journalist i mean like he has a, a written interview with Obama. I think he was in GQ. That's just awesome. Like, like Bill can talk about sports. He can talk about politics. He can talk about technology. And him interviewing Chris Saka is just spectacular. I think I was a few minutes in and I was just completely, completely roped in. They talk about everything from, like, Chris's meetings with Kobe Bryant where Kobe's investing in startups and, like, Chris put him through the, the ringer, like, no no pun intended, like Chris really like <laughs> it was like, okay, cool, like celebrity athlete who wants to get into investing and like there's so much interesting stuff revealed. Like I didn't, I have to go do more research on this, but like Kobe actually doesn't sleep. Like Kobe th- they reveal is like a dude that I'm sure he maybe sleeps like in a few hours or something, but like the way they describe it is like the dude, you know, he's his, his day life. And then all night he was staying up reading and, and trying to like learn and go through the exercises that of everything that Chris gave him. So there's this Kobe wow. segment. They talk about the founding of Uber and like the jam sessions when they're sitting around and how all that fell into place. Talk about early days at Twitter, about bets that Chris made, about when Chris was dirt poor and then started day trading and made $4 million in day trading stocks and then lost it all and then went into massive debt. And then the whole, it's just like, it's an awesome episode. So I'll link it in the show notes, but, um, the, the Bill Simmons podcast featuring Chris Saka is excellent. Excellent.
1: I'm going to have to give that a listen. Yeah. Um, so my carve out for the week, uh, caveat that I'm only about a third of the way through it, but, um, is a book, uh, that came out a couple of years ago that had been on my reading list. Um, and I finally got around to, uh, thanks to the magic of audiobooks. Um, uh, book called anti-fragile by Nassim Tlaib um
0: I just finished the black
1: swan oh nice, nice. uh so this is my first Nassim Tlaib book and uh I want to I want to read the rest of them after this uh it is excellent what do you think of the black swan it
0: was good it, like a lot of books like that I felt like the first half covered it yeah um but like really interesting I highly recommend it also
1: well what's interesting not having read the black swan yet but um couple things about anti-fragile one <laughs> nasim is like uh, he's like a baller like he's hilarious i mean he's incredibly smart but he writes like he's also got uh, like a giant ego and writes like this is a guy who just like yeah, does not give a crap yeah, about his, anything
0: he, his ego shows through quite a bit in black swan too yeah
1: uh but what's interesting is he actually so so the whole thesis of anti-fragile is that um there's this you know it reminded me a lot of zero to one and a, in a fittingly for this episode of peter thiel idea about you know the idea of secrets um that there are these things about the world that are like fundamental laws that govern it that just like people don't understand or realize and so Nassim talks about this concept of anti-fragility that like we know about things that are fragile and for millennia people thought the opposite of fragile was robust um things that you know are are durable and not don't break when exposed to stress. But it turns out that's that's just like a neutral thing. Like the opposite of fragile is something that gets stronger when exposed to stress. Um and uh, and so like an example would be the human body to a certain extent. You know, you exercise uh and you get stronger. Um example another example would be um would be also within within biology, you know, the concept of vaccines. Where being exposed mm. to a small amount of uh, of a toxin or a poison or a virus uh, will then make you stronger against uh, against the virus. Um, anyway, and, and if you start looking at the world this way, there are all these examples of this, um, and uh, and 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 then uh, yet another example, bringing back to uh, Nasim's ego, he says actually information is anti-fragile if you think about it, and he's like, what's the best way to um, to get your message heard by as many people as possible you should tell everybody it's a secret (laughs) and and then you should try and make it as controversial as possible and you should try and get as many people as possible to hate on you because then people are going to hear about it and it's going to be really interesting and people are going to want to read about it and that's how you get disseminated and if you want to make sure your information does not get disseminated you want to be like really agreeable and uh and tell everybody it's really important and then nobody will, will read you huh
0: and it's so interesting because it, it's probably a very uncommon thing because we as humans, I think it's a defense mechanism and it's something that we use to stay alive, but we don't like it when people don't like us. And exactly. we don't like it when, you know, people want to lash out against us. So we're very disincentivized to make enemies.
1: And and think about even like your carve out, well, the, the PayPal guys and your carve out, all these people, you know, Chris Saka, Kobe Bryant, Phil <laughs> Simmons, all the PayPal, you know, mafia, they were not only did they not care when people didn't like them, they embraced it.
0: This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite
1: companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers.
0: Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO, Chase Lockmiller.
1: The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead.
0: Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs, since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips, and these lower energy costs get passed on to customers.
1: It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where quote-unquote energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. If you,
0: your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusoecloud.com/acquired. That's c r u s o e cloud.com/acquired, or click the link in the show notes. All right, everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Um, if you get a chance, we'd love, love, love if you could rate us on iTunes. And uh, have a great day. We'll see you
1: next time. Who got the truth? Is it you, is it you, is it you who got the truth now?